listening to The Cooler Ring, a podcast made for manufacturing marketers. Here are Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Welcome to The Cooler Ring, a podcast for manufacturing marketers brought to you by Cooler Partners. My name is Jeff White and joining me today is Carmen Perry. Carmen, how are you doing, sir? All is well. All is well in my world. You? Oh, fantastic. Bit of a, you know, bit of a summer break um, for, for the podcast, you know, replayed some favorite hits. Yeah, yeah. It's a, uh, you know, I, I kind of, uh, in addition to enjoying a break, I, uh, I, uh, I like the opportunity to um, kind of shine a spotlight on some of the uh, uh, greatest hits episodes, if you will, over the past year. Or so it's uh, always nice to resurface some of that thinking. And uh, uh, frankly, I really enjoy going back through the, the episodes as well. So yeah, absolutely. And other kind of podcast-related news, we, we're now um, publishing the episodes to YouTube as well, which we were not doing before. So if that's your preferred podcast listening platform, you'll be able to find the Cooler Ring there from now on. Indeed. So that's all the podcast news, though. Yeah, I think we have a guest. We do. We do. And a phenomenal guest she is, too. And a familiar voice to uh, Coolering listeners and the first voice, I believe, that you hear every episode. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Still using Floyd's fantastic intro and outro. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, without further ado. Yeah. So joining us today is Floyd Blakey. Floyd is the strategy director here at Cooler Partners. Welcome back to the Cooler Ring, Floyd. Thank you so much. Although when I introduce myself professionally, I don't say strategy director at Cooler Partners. I say that I'm, you know, the announcer voice for the Cooler Ring. That's really the highlight of my resume today. I, I'm the, the voice of the Cooler <laughs> Ring, kind of like kind of like the people who are like the uh, official voice of like the Chicago Cubs or whatever. Like it's yeah. a real thing. Uh, yeah. I mean, this is slightly maybe less significant than being the official voice of the Chicago. Not Cubs. according to my mom. She loves the show. <laughs> I'm sure my mom would agree. Yeah. Well, nice to be back. Thanks so much for inviting me. It's, uh, look, um, it, it's, it's always a pleasure. And I think, look, I, I should let our listeners know this is what we're up to. Um, uh, Floyd has been working uh, over the past uh, little while on revamping our internal curriculum with respect to paid search. And we've had an, uh, you know, an awful lot of success in helping clients navigate paid search over the years. And, um, and that kind of playbook has, has certainly evolved over time. And, um, and we thought uh, this was a real kind of significant updating to the um, uh, to the thinking, and uh, I think in some ways the best consolidation yet of um, of how we think about paid search for manufacturers. So uh, that's why we wanted to have Floyd on the show today to really you know take our listeners through it and have them kind of begin to understand what are some of the differences, uh, the challenges that. That, that, that surface when it comes to paid search for manufacturers that, that maybe doesn't exist uh, with paid search elsewhere. Did I do a decent job of teeing that up, Jeff? Oh, I think that's great. And I, I think it's fair to say that if you let it, Google will try and direct you to a place that is not necessarily going to guarantee anybody's success except their own. So, yeah, I mean, we don't want to throw poor the poor folks at Google under the bus here too hard or anything, but I think it is fair to say that you're quite right. In fact, 
one manufacturer stands out in my mind as having wasted about a million dollars annually in paid search spend uh, because they basically did a set it and forget it um, on a very, very, very big profile. So, and to your point, uh, I'm sure the folks at Google were happy to see that happen. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of a little million dollar donation is not so bad. Well, you've come up with a better way. <laughs> Look, Google will happily accept your donations in, in any amount for any amount of time. Um, but uh, yeah, Carmen's right. We've uh, we've been spending a lot of time updating our Google Ads curriculum. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of how to use Google Ads content out there, a lot of educational resources that you can find, uh, you know, ranging from beginner level to advanced. And I've looked at most of them. Um, and the reason that we have maintained this curriculum internally is because basically none of it is about niche B2B. Uh, there's a lot of B2C content, of course. That's that's the kind of target that Google Ads as a platform was really built for. Um, and when you do find B2B Google Ads educational content, it's really about more short cycle uh, SaaS companies and and other places where you have much shorter, less complex sales processes. And they can often get you into their marketing and sales universe pretty early in that journey with something like like a freemium software approach. Um, There's really not a lot of freemium offers if you're selling, you know, like million dollar pieces of equipment. Uh, so those kinds of tactics just don't work for B2B manufacturers. Um, so that's, that's kind of why we do this in-house. Floyd, is it, uh, would you say that it's prime? I mean, it's kind of, I'm going to answer my own question maybe, but it's like, <laughs> cause these are somewhat two in the same, they go hand in hand, but I just wonder, is it the, the nicheness, uh, or nicheness, <laughs> if you will, of, of the, uh, of B2B manufacturing and kind of many of those markets, is that what drives the differences or is it length of sales cycle primarily? Hmm. It's a little bit of both. And that comes to life in in a couple of different areas. So when we're talking about really niche uh, industries or niche categories, um, it can be difficult to find the right keywords to target. And that's that's where the, the real difference comes into play when you're talking about um, PPC for B2B manufacturers. But the length and complexity of the sales cycle is really the main driver of that difference. Um, and like I said, Google Ads is really built for B2C. It, it put the ability to uh, uh, advertise and, and pay to capture search in the hands of marketers at any size of business. But most of those marketers are selling things that you can buy really quickly. So like a $5 widget, a $20 product, something where becoming aware of it and then buying it can happen in the same hour or even the same minute. Um, So all of the tactics and, and, and strategic kind of approaches to Google ads that you can learn are really about how do you get from that first interaction with your brand to a purchase or some other kind of, you know, really high value conversion in as little time as possible. And how can you optimize for that? Uh, And that's just not going to really happen for for B2B manufacturers. The sales process is a lot longer. We're talking about multiple people on the buying committee that need to be marketed to and sold to. um, And you just don't see a single interaction really capturing that. Uh, And if you try to optimize your account toward that, you're going to get a lot of things wrong. So you're you're basically saying, if I'm uh, understanding correctly, that there's a, a significant gap between 
when awareness takes place and when action takes place. That's exactly right. The B2B awareness action gap, uh, re recently written an article about this. Um, and that's just really referring to the length of time it takes between becoming aware of your product or solution uh, and actually doing something about it. Um, so even if you think about a, a big B2C purchase, say you gotta buy a car, and that's that's you know one of the bigger purchases someone's gonna make in their lifetime, that might take a couple of weeks. You might consult your spouse about it, maybe you don't. Uh, so it's a pretty small buying committee. Um, and you know, compared to the buying journey for B2B, it's kind of more of a, a, a buying teleportation experience. Um, so when you're thinking about capturing awareness level search for B2B, a lot of people treat conversions as the ultimate goal and, and often, you know, in ads it should be, and they see not a lot happening after they tend to capture some uh, um, search that might reflect where someone is when they're earlier in, in that buying journey. Uh, and then they think ads doesn't work. So that that's certainly one large stumbling block that, uh, that we see in B2B manufacturing Google ads programs. But it's not true that I mean, I, I guess the thing is, and you know, and, and that's what this episode is about, this is what your curriculum is about, is that it is possible to use the platform in these highly complex, highly lengthy sales cycles, you know, like it, but you're right. Like the number of times that someone has come to us and said, ah, we tried, we tried PPC and it was just, it was just throwing money away. Uh -huh. It doesn't, it doesn't work for us. And I think it's fair to say that that's, probably not true for almost all it's almost yeah it's almost never the case um but I, I just want to make sure that i understand floyd's uh specific guidance here on this awareness action gap so is it just basically to uh restructure um uh the campaigns so that convert that, that so that they're not hinging off of conversion essentially on those awareness-based keywords Sometimes. <laughs> so the, the more complicated answer to that is that if you want to be good at Google ads uh, as a B2B manufacturer, you need to really understand your own uh, buying journey, even before you necessarily understand all of the complexities and, and technical parts of Google ads. That's where we see people fall down uh, when we've talked to, to manufacturers who've tried Google ads and it just hasn't worked for them. Um, it's usually because they're kind of trying to shoehorn intent or shoehorn certain actions into earlier stages of the buying journey. So for some awareness terms are going to work and for some they're not. Uh, an example of, of a place where I see a lot of manufacturers struggle with, with awareness search is when they're trying to invent a problem that nobody is searching for. Um, so, you know, if, if you're an innovator in the B2B space and niche B2B, you're usually not solving a brand new problem. Um, there just aren't that many problems out there to solve. Certainly things that uh, we've seen a lot of advancements in, you know, automation and AI and, and a lot of new uh, areas of awareness search are coming out of that. But, um, you know, if you're in manufacturing, you're probably solving some really old problems, but maybe you're doing it in a really kind of new and innovative way, or maybe you're solving multiple problems at once, right? Think about, I mean, this is a little outside of uh, uh, B2B manufacturing, more on the software side, but think about ERPs that replace a number of fragmented uh, software systems, like a, a warehouse uh, management software, accounting software, and things like that. That's solving a bunch of different problems in a new way. But people who aren't aware of your solution that might be new or might be more comprehensive, they're not searching for phrases that describe your solution. They're searching for answers to their original problem. Um, 
So an example I like to give is, is, is the Swiss army knife. Let's pretend you invented the Swiss army knife. Um, the problem that you're solving is that it's really hard to carry all the things that a Swiss army knife includes in your pocket. And you, you might need any of those things at any given time. Um, but if nobody knows what a multi-tool is, if you're the first one coming to market with that, then nobody's going to be searching for multi-tool. Uh, they're going to be searching for solutions to their individual problems. So that's where a lot of this awareness search kind of falls into that awareness action gap. Uh, people are just not searching the right terms to describe someone's you know, new or advanced solution or offering. Uh, and then they think that search doesn't work because people aren't searching for the things that describe them, uh, which is certainly not the case if you know how to target that. But most people are better off just targeting much more high intent terms that are, that are more uh, associated with solution awareness, uh, product awareness, or even evaluation of your offering. Okay, well, look, let's unpack that a little bit further. So you're saying the answer to addressing the awareness action gap is to, first things first, let's not focus on the awareness side of this journey. Let's look at other aspects of the, of the journey where people are already solution aware. So talk to me about how that impacts your keyword selection and kind of that, that first things first approach, as it were. Yeah, you should always start, I mean, in 99.9% .9 of cases, start with um, really high intent keywords that that describe what you do um, in kind of familiar language to your prospect base. Uh, and that's where you can do things like focus on, focus on conversions and get people taking actions really quickly. Um, that's usually starting, you know, closest to the money. You've got brand search. That's really important. Uh, phrases that are describing, you know, exactly what it is you do using exact or phrase match types. Um, and that's going to be where you see the needle move the most. And then you can kind of build build out into more awareness focused search. All right. Then tell me about that build out. So there's a couple of things that you can do. Um, increased specificity. Uh, is usually kind of correlated with increased intent. So if you can think about what are the things that people, you know, what are the questions that people might have when they're looking for a solution like yours? Um, and then see how, see how specific you can get with those types of uh, searches. So let's do an example. If I was searching for uh, a new pair of athletic shoes, um, I might search for something really specific, like women's, you know, pink lifting shoes. <laughs> that might be something that I've actually searched for and purchased. Um, the more specificity you get around a product or solution, I think the the more opportunity you have in terms of awareness search. Something that you know isn't a branded term describing what you do. Um, one place you maybe shouldn't look for this type of opportunity is in industry modified keywords. That is something that we also see quite often. Um, people are really eager to do really specific industry search terms and send them to industry focused pages. Uh, and that doesn't work very often. People tend to assume that increased industry specificity equals kind of increased awareness or increased opportunity to create awareness. I can't think of someone who is in a role where they're making these kinds of purchase decisions, sitting down and, and, you know, making a search for, um, automation sensors for food and beverage industry. You don't get to that level of authority and decision making without already kind of knowing what the answer is to your problem. Um, and we just don't see a lot of those search terms being modified with with industry terms. So th if I'm hearing you correctly on that, 
is it that they're not being modified by industry terms um, in that kind of, if you will, the easy way, like food and beverage industry, but it is being modified by other more specific things that may well be only food and beverage related. But yeah. that that's kind of peeling the onions just a little bit further. So I think what you're telling us is you you need to work a little harder than just replicating the industry list on your website and modifying terms with that and going going from there. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, if you can, if you've got kind of the the data infrastructure um, to be doing a customer journey lifecycle analysis, and and you can map certain actions on your site to different stages in that customer journey, that can be a really good place to start. Um, Another thing that we like to do when we're working with manufacturers for the first time is just see what kind of organic search terms are bringing people to the site. And often they don't tend to align with uh, kind of the the quote unquote obvious keywords that um, uh, we see a lot of manufacturers go after, things that are industry modified, things that are describing their solution if they you know solve problems in an innovative way. Those just aren't the keywords that tend to be bringing folks to the site and driving action on the site. Uh, so that's usually the first big wake up call uh, when we start to do keyword research. When you're looking at that kind of thing, because of course, as, as all marketers know, you know, we don't have access to the keyword uh, visibility the way that we used to before everything went under SSL. <laughs> How are you doing that research to find those rather specific terms? Yeah, there is an awful lot we can't see, um, which, you know, depending on uh, whether you're on the marketing side or the consumer side, is either a good or a bad thing. Um, but, you know, the the trend is definitely toward um, uh, anonymous browsing by default. You kind of have to opt in now to, uh, to give any of your data away. Uh, so there are lots of ways around this. Um, you know, if you've got a good site structure, if you've got pages that are specifically about one thing and, and they're, they're well organized, you can kind of map what's going on on those pages to what the keywords likely are that are bringing people in. Um, so that's one way to do it. You can, you know, simply Google yourself and, and, and see what terms you're coming up for. Um, there's also ways to do, you know, competitive research around what terms are, are bringing people to your direct competitor sites. Um, so sometimes you have to use a little bit of, of ingenuity and uh, uh, interpreting of what site behavior might mean in relation to keywords and and where folks are on the customer journey. Um, but if you're you know if you're familiar with these tools and you're familiar with uh, how the B two B buying cycle tends to work, it, there are still lots of ways to to figure that out. We'd be remiss not to mention tools like SEM Rush and things of that nature as well, of course. Yeah, exactly. It's a great place to start. I'd like to talk about the attribution challenge a bit further when you think about these very long cycles i'm always um <laughs> i find it funny when you think about an 18 month or a 24 month long sales cycle and we know that the average cmo tenure is a year <laughs> um so it, it's just like man those bottom of funnel measures are uh, hard to get a promotion with right when you're having to wait 24 months uh, so I guess, it, but but these long sales cycles do um, uh, change how you think about attribution and how you, uh, I, I guess, uh, so talk to me about that, Floyd. Is it simply around the notion of not getting hung up on conversions during the awareness phase or is there more to it than that? 
The first thing that you need in order to properly attribute revenue to paid search is closed loop analytics. And I'm not saying that you can't do paid search without that. Uh, it's just really hard to fuel a smart bidding strategy. So letting Google, uh, and I tend to talk about Google like it's a person, so forgive me uh, if that's weird, but uh, it's kind of how I think about Google. Letting Google interpret those signals uh, of, of lead quality, of revenue that, that can be attributed to paid search, uh, that's what really fuels a smart bidding strategy, which is a good idea for a lot of folks when you've got enough data to go on. So that's kind of step one. Can you take you know, actual money that you've made and tie it to paid search in some way? Um, the next is kind of letting go of the notion that a contact or, or a lead that has originated from paid search, and then maybe a, a you know a deal comes out of that. Maybe it's closed one, and you make some money. Um, that that's kind of an all or nothing paid search attribution. Um, and I've been working on a case study as well with with uh, one of our clients where this is kind of exactly what happened. Um, they were working with uh, uh, another agency that you know only did Google Ads, and I'm you know not throwing them under the bus. They were obviously very uh, proficient on, on the ads platform side. Uh, it was really that complex buying cycle where they, they seem to get really tripped up. Um, so they were saying, you know, anytime someone interacts with an ad, that's a hundred percent revenue attribution. But if you talk to any salesperson at, you know, a manufacturer and tell them that a single click or a single landing page can drive like a, a six figure deal, they are going to laugh you out of the room. Um, so it just was not really based in reality. Uh, so you need to figure out where in your customer journey is paid search making an impact? And then how are you going to take that information and use that to build out an attribution model that really reflects reality? Um, you know, paid search is one touch point in, in a customer journey that might take, you know, six months, 12 months, 18 months. Um, it's certainly not going to be doing all of the work, but it's also going to be do not going to be doing none of the work, uh, which is kind of the other option when you look at these built-in attribution models that people tend to use. Um, and it's, it should be noted, it's not only doing the work at the front end of that process. It may well be coming in and giving an assist three quarters of the way through it. Yeah, that's absolutely right. In in the case study I just mentioned, um, we did an analysis of, of uh, how Google Ads was uh, impacting the customer journey to using all of the data that they had. Um, so we really got a great holistic picture of what parts of the journey ads was important in and what it did well and what it didn't do well. Uh, so we found out it really didn't do very well at generating leads, which is something that you kind of really want ads to do most of the time, but it was really great at re-engaging people. And in fact, people who engaged with an ad were much more likely to become an MQL uh, than people who didn't. And it took about half the time to close a deal if someone interacted with an ad between the opportunity and the customer stage. Um, so you really need to understand where your ads are moving the needle if you want to be able to uh, properly attribute revenue. In this case, we ended up using a model that uh, gives... 22.5% uh, of the credit interactions at the beginning, middle, and end of the buying journey, uh, and then distributes the rest of the credit equally to all interaction points between that. And we found that that was really reflective of the way ads was working for them. I mean, and it, it's, I think the one thing I would really caution manufacturers against, and I guess what, what you're hearing us say is, you know, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. If you think ads isn't working, it's just maybe that you're doing it wrong. And 
and I always, I'm like, yeah, because you don't have an unlimited number of uh, clubs in the bag. Like, there's only so many things you can do as a B2B manufacturer to uh, predictably uh, drive revenue growth. And um, and I'm always just head shaky. It's like I always said, like, okay, you've decided that paid search isn't it. Well, now what are you doing other than your trade shows, right? Like, there's just the number of options. It's not like there's 40. And, and you know, options to generate leads might be limited and the number of leads you can generate is certainly limited, right? We're talking about fairly narrow prospect pools versus uh, uh, an organization that can sell a $5 widget to anybody. And I think that that puts the pressure on a lot of manufacturing marketers. They might see, you know, three or five uh, visitors per day to their paid search landing page. And then it's kind of like, oh my God, I have to like have this huge conversion rate or I'm, I'm wasting this tiny amount of traffic that I'm getting. And, and uh, we see a lot of mistakes being made at this point. So, you know, they might be bringing in good quality leads or good quality traffic to uh, an awareness search kind of term. And then they're hitting them over the head with a contact sales conversion over and over. And nobody wants to do that. Uh, not at that stage. They're, they might be nine months out from being ready to do that. Uh, but people tend to jump the gun because the the, the lead flow or the traffic flow is, is um, kind of slim compared to a lot of other uh, types of organizations. Lloyd, are you able to you know, we're talking now about the various phases that, uh, you know, of an awareness and buying journey that somebody might be in. How much of the work that you're doing is around understanding, you know, if someone uses this set of keywords and lands on this page, they're, you know, they're solution aware, they're us aware, you know, that at that point, we know that if they use that keyword, like, I don't know, like, a branded keyword like our our name and a particular something because they've already learned about it now are you able to kind of see that in the research that you do up front you know that these are keywords that people use when they still don't know that we exist and these are ones that they use when they're you know comparing us against somebody else and about to pull the trigger yeah it's a it's part science and part art that's for sure um so we use a um we use this customer journey mapping model, and it has 12 different phases of, uh, of, of the buying journey. Um, and we really look at the first, you know, six or seven, because uh, a lot of those are kind of post-purchase and Google ads, you know, depending on your use case may not be uh, something you use uh, for customer expansion. Um, so there are, there are some keyword phrases that can be kind of reliably mapped to different phases of that journey. Obviously, if we're talking about, you know, evaluation and selection right before a purchase is made, that's where we're looking at how branded keywords are making an impact on revenue. Um, if we're talking about product awareness, then, then maybe they've got branded terms that people are searching for that, that are owned by the parent brand. Um, at the solution awareness phase, we can make a, you know, we can reasonably... Uh, guess based on on other data that we have on the site, um, what kinds of terms people are using to arrive at those solutions pages uh, and how that traffic is performing. So you you kind of make your most educated guess uh, at different stages, and then you, you take the feedback that you're getting from the actual uh, program and kind of use that as a gut check. So if you're 
you know, pretty certain that something is a solution awareness keyword, but you find that that traffic is really not performing well, uh, they're not continuing to discover your offering, they're not taking high value actions, that might be a good sign that it's time to reevaluate where that keyword lands in, in your customer's buying journey uh, or whether it does at all. I'm wondering if you have any guidance around how marketers ought to be thinking about the time from uh, profile setup to uh, when it's really working well for them. Like, kind of, how, how, what's that time, kind of time horizon look like for refinement, um, you know, making contact with the market? I understand that it's never set it and forget it, but any guidance to offer there? Yeah. So part of that is going to be dependent on, um, you know, the average time it takes to sell whatever it is you sell to somebody. Um, so one of the things that we do when we're, um, figuring out how we should build out an attribution model is we might look at, you know, average time in different journey stages, uh, average length of the buying journey, and then we know when to look back on performance. Um, so that part is really dependent on your business in terms of, when you should start feeling really good or feeling really bad about what you're seeing in ads, things that are happening before people get to your uh, website. So things like um, uh, impressions, click-through rate, uh, those are about 30 days before you can tell whether or not those tend to be working. That's if you pick a bidding strategy and you stick with it. Anytime you introduce new variables into your Google Ads program, like changing your bidding strategy or significantly changing your keyword focus, there's usually a period of, of one to two weeks um, before that really starts working and you can see any feedback from that. But if you're getting a brand new program into market, generally you're gonna see how well your ads are performing within 30 to 60 days and how well the program is performing as a whole is really gonna depend on your average uh, um, buying cycle length. All right, we're gonna put you on the spot now, Floyd. We're getting towards the end of the show and I wanna know what are like the top, I don't know, two, three, five, if you want, <laughs> dumbest things that you've seen. <laughs> oh boy! Man manufacturers do with paid search. Okay. Um, well, one that I know we've discussed before is one manufacturer spending. I think it was at least five figures on the name of a Christian rock band. Uh, that was pretty bad. Um, We've seen, uh, and this was kind of a, an account organization problem. Uh, if you get someone who doesn't really know how they're setting up the account, it's really easy to make mistakes. So we did see uh, one organization that was accidentally blocking all searches for its own brand term in its branded campaign. So those ads were only searching if somebody misspelled the brand term. Uh, that was not great. Um, seen a lot of... Um, uh, setups where we're trying to measure conversion value, right? So we're, we're taking like an average deal size, average close rate at different stages, uh, and using that to calculate the value of, of different kinds of leads, like an MQL or SQL. I've seen those numbers being used to calculate return on ad spend uh, instead of revenue. So it ends up wildly overinflated, uh, and that can lead to some pretty bad business decisions. Um, and the one that I think I see the most often, it's not that dumb, <laughs> you know, just uh, as far as dumb Google ads decisions go, uh, but a lot of use of broad match keywords. And if you're selling, you know, pink lifting shoes, then broad match keywords will help you find different searches that are related to your product that maybe you didn't think about. Um, it's generally not a great idea in, in niche B2B because uh, 
we're selling really specific products, really specific search uh, services. Not a lot of people are searching for them. And when they are, they tend to know what they're talking about. Uh, and broad match keywords will bring in all sorts of wildly unrelated search. Uh, so if you are a manufacturing marketer and you are using broad match keywords uh, in your Google Ads strategy, I would recommend taking a look at those and uh, uh, seeing what the quality of that traffic is. Yeah, I didn't want to be too harsh about uh, <laughs> uh, saying that they're dumb mistakes, but I do think it's a nice, frankly, it's a nice way for people listening to say, okay, if I see any one of these four things in my uh, Google Ads approach, maybe I just, it, it may be a, a bit of a, uh, a, not an alarm bell, but maybe at least an indication to take a look uh, a little deeper. Potential for a recipe for waste. Yeah. Well, and I think that is an interesting point and a big contrast that I've seen over the years with our approach to paid search versus others is that um, we our programs have tended to build upon a quality traffic. So uh, to throw good money after good money, as it were, um, whereas a awful lot of other approaches seem to be around throwing uh, good money after bad money. So they'll start by saying, we're going to a, a really broad net we're going to put a lot of budget to it and then refine it after we learn something from it and rarely have i seen that really work in practice and that is very much the google playbook too i mean when they when they call <laughs> they call the office and get mad because we're not <laughs> just increasing spend <laughs> for no reason at all other than the google person told us to that is you know that's that's part of the issue well, if a Google person calls you, their primary goal is to make money for Google. So that's always a good thing to keep in mind. Um, and kind of along the same lines, if you're looking at your, your recommendations tab in ads, it's not that Google is being malicious and trying to, to mislead you, but uh, a lot of those insights are, you know, they're based on a massive machine learning database that's mostly B2C products uh, that people can buy in a matter of minutes. Um, so I would take all of those with a very large grain of salt and make sure that you know, you're know you talking to someone or you are someone who's really intimately familiar with a really complex buying journey. And if you are kind of throwing a bunch of money at ads and, and deciding to see what works and kind of double down on that, um, I would just reiterate that a, a really important consideration is how long is it going to take you to see success? If it on average takes you 50 days to, to take a lead from a uh, new lead to SQL, and after 30 days, you're looking at your traffic and saying, well, none of this is working. We're throwing our money away. You know, it's just, it's not grounded in reality. Um, and, and similar to that, if you're, you know, saying that ads only gets 100% credit for a sale or none at all. It's just, it's not reflective of the reality of a B2B sale. And these are things you really need to think about if you're going to uh, um, wisely invest in Google ads. Uh, Floyd, always a pleasure. Uh, it's been uh, it's been great to chat with you about this. I think the, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a critical uh, tool in the bag for, for, for B2B uh, manufacturing marketers. And uh, I think we can, uh, folks can always get better at paid search and, um, I uh, really appreciate the insights. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. There's a lot to cover um, on, on the topic of, of uh, paid search for B2B manufacturers. I could probably talk about it for six or seven hours. Um, so uh, appreciate having the opportunity to uh, give some of the highlights. Phenomenal. Thanks, Floyd. Thanks for listening to The Cooler Ring with Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Don't miss a single manufacturing marketing insight. Subscribe now at coolapartners.com slash thecoolerring. 
That's K-U-L-A partners.com slash the cooler ring.